evening or morning or afternoon or whatever time you're listening to this. And welcome back. It's the Smith and Seidel Show. I'm Jacob Seidel alongside my good friend, Zach Smith, who is not alongside me. He's on the other side of my computer. I mean, it's close enough. You can say alongside. I'm I, I'm it depends on how you look at it. If you're going through the webcam, I'm like within arm's reach. And uh, before we go uh, and do anything else, we would like to say thank you for those of you who tuned into the live stream of our match and preview show. One of the three of them, uh, <laughs> considering all the technical difficulties we had, hopefully we have it resolved the next time we go live. That's also something we're going to release more information on it later. But Zach and I are going to start doing some more stuff on Sportscaster Live, so keep your eyes out for that. Yeah, big thank you also to the uh, group of guys that we had with us. Alex Rowley, Reese Lannon, Charlie Ryan. Uh, we really did appreciate you guys for coming out and helping us out. And uh, if you're interested in doing more, do let us know. So we'll go from there and let's uh, we'll go to our first segment, which is always uh, I haven't had time to get somebody to record the little sound bug I'm going to make for this yet. Uh, but... Zach, if you want to give me your best announcer today in sports history, that'd be great. <clears throat> today in sports history. In 1953, the Major League Baseball balk rule gives, batter, gives batters the option of accepting the outcome of the pitch or the balk. Which, Zach, you and I were talking about this yesterday. That is a rule that is seldom seen. Because usually when a balk is called, the ball is not put into play. Yeah, when you mentioned this to me, like for like the rule and for today in history, I was really confused. I'm like, that's a thing. Um, but you're you're really right there. You typically will only get box on no pitches. Um, typically speaking, when I've seen box called, pitchers will hold on to that ball if they know they're about to do it or they throw it way away so they can't allow any balls to get just popped into the air or deep into left field. So you never know. But it was, it was a really cool fact. It's something I learned too. Yeah, and it, I just think it's a night. I didn't realize that happened all the way back in 53. I thought it's happened even before that, like early 1900s, but a rule that's in the grand scheme of baseball that's really not that old. Yeah, you learn something new every day. From there, we will go to our newest, well, our, not our newest segment anymore, but one of our newest, newer segments. Uh, and why don't we get a little, little introduction to that? They may be grown up, but they don't know what they'll be at the end of the season. It's time for What Will I Be When I Grow Up? That's that whining I was talking about and why I switched microphones. <laughs> yes, it is. Where will I be when I grow up? The question, uh, the name of the game is Zach and I will ask each other a question about a team, a player, coach. <coughs> oh, pardon me. Coach, what have you uh, and where they will be at a certain point of time. So, Zach, I'll start with you because. You're a, I know you're a Red Sox fan. I know you're not a Patriots fan, but I think you have more family in that area and you probably would have a better view on this than I would. So by the end of the season, Cam Newton will be what? 
So I look at it from a couple of things, and you're very right. Uh, my dad and my little brother are both big Patriots fans, as well as my uncle Peter. Um, and then I've got family from the New England area, roughly speaking. Um, so looking at the Patriots, Cam Newton has not really panned out this experiment. Bill Belichick uh, going public lately saying that he didn't have a lot of cap room. The reason why uh, Cam Newton was only making a million dollars is because the Patriots don't really have that much to spend. On top of that, Cam Newton has not played well whatsoever. Um, he's sitting, as we're recording, at 2-5 and five right now. Trade deadline was today, the 3rd of November. Um, just nothing good. So at the end of the season, Cam Newton will be a free agent. Um, and very might he very well might retire at the end of this year, in my opinion. Um he great story by Cam Newton went to a small college. Auburn saw something in him and brought him in number one pick for North or for the Carolina Panthers. I want to say back in 2011 and had a good career with them, led his team to a super bowl, but injuries have just plagued this man's career. Um, thought he could get a new start in Carolina. This was his make or break year. And And uh, unfortunately, in New England. And for, yeah, it was a make or break year this year in New England. Um, unfortunately speaking, there's not a lot of teams that could use a bridge quarterback like Cam Newton right now. Um, I think at the end of this year, Cam Newton will be a free agent and at the very le- and if not retired at the end of this year. Okay. A little, which is unfortunate to say. Yeah, unfortunate to say he's been he was the face of the league at one point. I want to throw a little wrinkle in here. Do you think he could be the bridge quarterback in Atlanta? If Atlanta decides to go the way of drafting a new quarterback. No, no. Matt Ryan will remain in Atlanta. Um, The fact that they didn't field any calls for he or Julio Jones shows me that they still believe in Matt Ryan. He's not the Matt Ryan MVP that we saw a couple of years back. Um, this offense of the Atlanta Falcons is not bad. It's the defense and special teams that really needs a lot of work. Uh, that being said, I do think that Atlanta may look to get their next signal caller of the future here in this draft. Um, but I don't think that there's any reason why Matt Ryan is not under center next season for Atlanta. Okay. So at the start of the 2021 season, Blank will be the starting quarterback for the New York Jets. I don't know how to answer this one. I want to say it'll be Sam Darnold. But I think if it is Sam Darnold, it's only because the Jets couldn't take either of the top two quarterbacks in the draft, which are going to be Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. And I don't think they're going to take either of them because I think if the Jets have the number one pick, neither of them declares for the draft. It's something we have said a few times on our show. Uh, but Trevor Lawrence is on the record saying, like, oh, who knows what will happen? Who knows? He doesn't. He said he didn't envision staying at Auburn next year, but who knows what could happen? Justin Fields is on the record saying uh, that he wants to win the Heisman trophy. He wants to win a ring for the Buckeyes. I don't think either of them will declare for the draft. If the jets have the number one pick, 
And that's why I think Sam Darnold is going to be the starting quarterback, but they are going to have a rookie from either mid for or mid first round or in the later rounds. I don't think they're going to end up going QB with the number one overall pick. Cause I don't think there's going to be a quarterback worth the number one overall pick in this draft. That's fair. That's a fair point to make. Um, but like hypothetically speaking, and, and this is kind of the way I'm going to rephrase the question to you. Hypothetically speaking, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields declare for the NFL draft this year. Keeping in mind that guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick are going to be out there. Uh, Dwayne Haskins' name has been thrown around in trade rumors. Cam Newton at the end of the year is a free agent. Assuming that Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence declare for the draft, who will be the starting quarterback next year for the New York Jets? Will it still be Sam Darnold or will it be a rookie? I don't think it'll be either. I think they'll bring in a veteran quarterback. I don't know who on a one-year like deal to be kind of the bridge quarterback. But I think if Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields declares for the draft, they're going to take one of those two, and it depends on this. It's going to be how Trevor Lawrence bounces back from COVID and if he bounces back from COVID this year. Because if he, is, if he has problems coming from COVID, his draft stock is going to fall. Like if he comes out and he's not able to run the same or throw the ball the same, or he just doesn't look at it as athletic as he did at the beginning of the year. I don't think he'll be the number one overall pick. Justin Fields would be that being said, I would have to go with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Not no Tannehill. The one that's still in Florida. Wait, which one's still in Florida? Fitzpatrick. Ryan Tannehill's the starting quarterback of the Titans. It's been a long day, Zach. Our our server wasn't our server was down at work for the second day in a row. So I had to deal with people angry that I couldn't print off money orders. You're good. You're good. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. You can go ahead Ryan, and re- you can start over yep. with it. I think it's gonna be Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think Tua is gonna be the quarterback of the future of the Dolphins, at least right now. And I think Fitzpatrick is going to be out of Miami after this season. Zach, in December, the Ohio State Buckeyes will be the number one seed for the college football playoff. Spicy take. Spicy take. I like the take, but it's a spicy. So here's the thing. Ohio State is sitting at three right now. I can lay this out, but essentially saying here, Ohio State will go undefeated for the remainder of this year after dominating Nebraska and dominating Penn State in Happy Valley. Now, I get it in Penn State is not the same without fans, just like the shoe isn't going to be the same without fans or being in Michigan in Ann Arbor is not going to be the same without fans. But that being said, Ohio State runs the table. Clemson has to play Notre Dame this Saturday without Trevor Lawrence. We'll talk about that later. But I think that Clemson has a solid chance of losing that game. And on top of it, Alabama has to likely go through Georgia again, is what I'd imagine for the um, SEC title game. Now, the, the Crimson Tide are good, but I don't know if you can look at an Ohio State team that just ran the table in the gauntlet that is the Big Ten and not put them at one. That being said, 
the Ohio State Buckeyes will be the number one seed in the college football playoff come December. Uh, you're right. You're right. Um, we'll talk about the Buckeyes more in a little bit, um, but they are slated to play Wisconsin, are they not? I am not 100% sure. I'd have to look back at the schedule. We'll take a look at the schedule in a little bit, um, but I like that take, and I think they could be. Um, Zach, when college football kicks off next season, oh, wait, it's your turn to ask me. Never mind. I wanted to answer oh, this question. It's all good. So when college football kicks off next season, hopefully in a normal world, Urban Meyer, the former coach of the Bowling Green Falcons, the Florida Gators, and the Bowling Green, or I already said the Bowling Green State University Falcons, and the Ohio State Buckeyes. You forgot the Utah Urban Utes. Meyer will be, oh, yeah, I forgot about Utah. <laughs> Urban Meyer will be what? In his position at Fox Sports. And I say this because the way Urban Meyer talks about the Buckeyes at Fox Sports on the uh, Big Noon pregame show, you can tell that was his dream job and the pinnacle of his career. He loved coaching Ohio State. I think he'd still be coaching Ohio State if it weren't for some of the medical issues he had. Um, But I don't think we will see Urban Meyer in another college coaching role, the exception being if the Notre Dame spot opens up at some point. Urban Ooh. Meyer is he's from Toledo, which is about three hours from uh, uh, South Bend, South Bend, Indiana. And I from from what I've heard from other people, he was not only a Buckeyes fan growing up, he was also an Irish fan. And I think it's any Irish fan's dream to play for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish or coach the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. But I think he stays on the pregame set with the with the big noon Saturday. Interesting. I think that's an interesting take. I like the take because I don't think Gerwin Meyer is going to coach again. And you could tell just how emotional he was when he was told that essentially he needed to, you know, give up coaching or he was going to end up hospitalized and down on the ground on a football field. Like med- medical issues were killing him. And even still, Urban Meyer is one of the most dominant coaches when he was at Ohio State. He's made history with the Buckeyes. And, you know, I see no reason why the Buckeyes go away from Ryan Day. I see no reason why. The nice thing with Urban Meyer is that he got to choose his successor, essentially. And he brought Ryan Day and he helped mold him into the coach he wanted to be. And I, I, I like that take because, and you mentioned it, the way he talks about Ohio State on the big noon kickoff shows and all of that that he does with Fox. You can tell the true love and passion he has for Ohio State and that Columbus region. In the state of Ohio in general, he he is a true man that bleeds scarlet and gray. And as much as I was sad to see him go as the coach of the Buckeyes, his successor health has to come first. His, his, his health has to come first and his successor is doing a pretty good job. No kidding. Zach, at the end of this year, Philip Rivers will be what? Well, 
at the end of this year, I, I'm going to throw this two ways. Two ways. At the end of this year, first of all, Philip Rivers will be in the postseason with the Indianapolis Colts. But secondly, when the season comes to an end overall, Philip Rivers will be retained on a one-year deal in Indianapolis. Now, Indy's got some interesting contracts coming up here soon. Not this year specifically, but in the near future. Quentin Nelson, their guard, is going to come up here soon. DeForest Buckner, who is on their D-line, is going to come up here soon. Darius Leonard, their linebacker, is going to come up here soon. They're going to need to address wide receiver here soon with T.Y. Hilton. Paris Campbell's been helpful for them, but they're going to need some help there. Some running back help is going to be necessary. I like the Colts this year. They still have one of the most dynamic offensive lines in football. But I don't know if Jacoby Brissett's the guy anymore. And say what you want about him, but he got a full year as a starter last year after Andrew Luck announced his retirement. It was very sudden, but Jacoby Brissett suddenly got a year to start that he was not ready for. And in in situations like that, you get to really see what a quarterback is made of. Um, another example I can give you is look at Mason Rudolph last year after Roethlisberger went down. Um, it, it's quarterbacks who may not have seemed ready, but it, this is going to be the opportunity where you get to see it, what a quarterback's made of with the same weapons. And Jacoby Brissett was not the guy. Now, maybe it's just he needed a year to sit behind another future Hall of Famer and get to look at it. Philip Rivers will end up in the Hall of Fame one day. Maybe it's you're letting Frank Reich develop a little bit more. But this team, if you look at it, there's parts of it that are young, but a lot of these playmakers are kind of old. Anthony Costanza on that offensive line has wanted to retire. T.Y. Hilton is likely going to retire here sooner rather than later. But I think that you possibly see Phillip Rivers play one more season, but... Philip Rivers doesn't want to play into his 40s. He's gone very public with that. So if he is not an Indianapolis Colt, he will be retired. So first of all, they will be in the postseason, either winning the division or as like a six or seven seed, first of all. And second of all, if Philip Rivers is not an Indianapolis Colt, he will retire, likely with the Chargers. I like that take. I also like your take that Philip Rivers will be in the Hall of Fame. I have said it for years. You put Philip Rivers with a Bill Belichick Patriots team. He wins maybe not six Super Bowls like Tom Brady did, but at least a couple. He has had the talent, but he's been surrounded by mediocrity his entire career. Yes and no. I mean, the, the the biggest thing that came as a surprise to me when he went from the Chargers to the Colts is he gave up the offensive talent for an offensive line. That was the biggest problem he had with the Chargers is the Chargers, they, as much as they tried to protect him and tried just to keep him upright, Phillip Rivers was constantly in the dirt. And you look at the past couple of years, mainly last season, he had an offense that included Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Melvin Gordon, and Austin Eckler. 
and you're, you tell me that's not a talented, you tell me right now that's not a talented offense. You uh, wouldn't be able to. I didn't mean just his offense. I, I, I meant the coaching staff and, and like, in general, Anthony, the, the Chargers. Anthony Lynn would be the best coach he's ever had. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. But I'm saying you go back to the San Diego days. Before I, if move. you were to go to San Diego, I agree with that one. But last year was the most talented team Philip Rivers had, and he he screwed that up. That defense was impeccable. That offense was pretty solid, minus the old line. <clears throat> Excuse me, but th- th- that team last year was perfect. And when he decided he he didn't have a great year, I thought he should have retired at the end of last year. But he left in free agency because the Chargers weren't going to bring him back to play. And I think they turned and said to him probably something similar to what Gettleman and the Giants staff turned to Eli Manning and said is, hey, we're not really looking to keep you around here. You've done your job, Eli. Like, thank you. You've done a lot for this organization. But Daniel Jones is the future. And unfortunately, you're either going to be here as a really cheap backup and we're going to cut your salary tremendously. Or we can have you retire as a New York Giant. And he was able to retire as a New York football giant. I was surprised Philip Rivers plays in Indy this year, but he's looked pretty decent so far. And I think it's because he's got that O-line. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Um, Philip Rivers, I think... One, he's one of the all-time greatest guys, just at per people in the NFL. Very nice guy. Very nice guy. Nine kids. He's got a lot of kids. He's got a lot of kids. He's been. He and his kids. wife have been bored. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll cut that out. It's all good. It's all good. Uh. But yeah, I I like that take. Here we go. Here's the here's the next question I got for you. So. By the end of this season, Derek Carr, who is the current starting quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders, will be what? He will still be the quarterback of the Las Vegas Raiders. And he is going to take this team either to the first round of the playoffs and with a very talented roster, or they're going to be on the outside looking in by one game in that last wild card spot. I don't know if you watched any of the Browns Raiders game, but Carr looked pretty comfortable throwing the ball, even in that wind and grapple, which I'll talk. We'll talk about that more when we get to our actual NFL statement. But I just think he is more talented than Marcus Mariota right now. And I don't see any reason why the, Raiders should make a change when they are right right in the heat of things in the playoff race. Like to quote uh, FDR, you don't change jockeys in the middle of a race. I like that take. And I, I, I do like what the Raiders have done. John Gruden, Mike Mayock, the GM have looked really well as in terms of building this team, essentially from nothing. Uh, this Raiders team, Last season was close to making the postseason. They were up into it until I want to say week 16. Um, and, and this year they're right there in the same. They are the one team who has beaten the chiefs this year. And it, it's a rather 
talented roster, all things considered. Josh Jacobs looks really good. Darren Waller is a solid tight end. Going and drafting Henry Ruggs, I thought was a little bit of a reach. I thought Justin Jefferson was going to go first, but he didn't. And Henry Ruggs, when he's been on the field, has looked really good. Um, I agree. I don't think that there's any reason that you take Derek Carr off. I've never thought Derek Carr was a bad quarterback. Um, he, there were times where I thought that they maybe should have given another look somewhere else, but I think bringing Mariota in over the offseason was a really good move for this this team because it's really brought out some of the best that we've seen in a while out of Derek Carr. And Zach, our final question in this is, at the end of this week, the Notre Dame I- Fighting Irish will be atop the ACC. First now, off, first off, can we just talk about how weird that is to say? They did it because FBS schools like alone are not getting a lot of playing time and the Fighting Irish want to play. And, you know, they're already ACC in so much. I want to say they're ACC in everything but hockey. I want to say. I believe they're, they're Big Ten in hockey. Every sport they have that ACC offers, they are in the ACC. They are in the Big Ten for hockey. So the Notre Dame should just join the ACC. Everybody's been saying that the reason they don't is because of contracting rights that they have with, I want to say Fox. Um, but that being, it's, it's not Fox. It's NBC. somebody it's they NBC. have at NBC. The reason that they don't go and join the ACC is because they have TV rights with their own network that they take care of. But the Fighting Irish this year are a member of the ACC. Now, I'm sitting here saying that the Fighting Irish will beat the Clemson Tigers this week. Put it in writing right here, right now. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish will win this weekend. And at the end of this week, they will be atop the ACC. Now, I talked about this with you yesterday, and there's your your four team for the college football playoff, the Cincinnati Bearcats, are fighting Irish fans this weekend. Or no, they're Clemson fans this weekend. If the fighting Irish win this game, they are pushing themselves into the top three. Clemson will stumble a little bit. The, co- the committee will be, oh, there's no Trevor Lawrence, so we're going to keep him in like the top five. But this is... A- so far, Clemson has answered every bell that they've needed to against teams that were ranked this year or good this year. But now they don't have Trevor Lawrence to bail them out, and they barely beat Boston College. They beat Boston College on a safety. So that being said... The Irish will win this weekend. Okay, yeah, I, I think the Fighting Irish defense is too talented for the backup, and I can't remember his name of the Clemson Tigers. So we'll end that segment there, saying that the Irish will win. Now on to the World Series. It finished up, and the Dodgers win in six games, their first World Series title since 1988. And I'm sorry, I just wish Vin Scully was there to call it. Yeah, it wasn't really the same without him. It was a well-played game, though. Joe Buck had a great, great call of that game. All things considered, there was a lot of weird things to go on. The errors that ended one of those games and overall played really, really well. Um 
Kyle or Corey Seager, not Kyle Seager. Corey Seager won MVP for that game at for the Dodgers. Got to give a moment to just say what a season for the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, you know, just this roster looked good. This roster is going to continue to get better. And for a team to not only get through the thick of the AL, but to win the AL, that's awesome. So you got to give a, a little bit of a hats off to the World Series champion Dodgers, but also to the Tampa Bay Rays, the runners up. Um, the Rays pitching staff couldn't get it going, except for game six, which. I, I don't know. They shouldn't have pulled Snell that early. Snell was dealing and they pulled him way too early. Um, but that being said, the race thought they did what was right and it ended up backfiring on him. But the big story out of this, which we're going to take a second to talk about, it comes back into the eighth inning. Now, LA's third baseman, Justin Turner was pulled at the top of the eighth inning of game six after his COVID test came back positive. So first and foremost, I don't understand why you just don't keep him in the game. Like at that point, you're eight innings in. If something's going to happen, it's going to have already happened. Why don't you keep him in? But they they pulled him. But he came back out to celebrate with the team afterwards. Here's my biggest gripe with this. How did it take until the eighth inning for the test to come back positive? Shouldn't they have all been tested days in advance of the World Series and before this game started? Why did it take until the eighth inning? For it to and at the same back? time, they were in a bubble-esque format. Relatively speaking, I know that it's it's a little different, but I'm I'm confused why this was even a problem. Now, the MLB pulling Justin Turner or Justin Turner from this game completely justified. Great job on you for that. You got the test and you turned and you said, we got to get you out of this game. Now, again, I don't understand why you pull him at that moment in time. Just let him finish the game and go for it. But then he came back out to celebrate with the team. Now I get it. He's towards the back end of his career. He's a free agent this year. And who knows, he may never get another opportunity to go out and celebrate a World Series again. I get that. But in the middle of a global pandemic where people fought so hard just to get the sport back on the field, you're going to sit there and go out and celebrate. I was really, really taken aback by the fact that he went and did it. And on top of that, he was taking his mask off to, you know, um, celebrate, take pictures. You know, I, I think he was out there celebrating with his wife, like. I don't know. They, they, it kind of contradicts everything that you as a team and as an organization of the MLB are saying we are justified and saying that we want health and safety of our players to come first, but you're going to let a guy who tested positive for COVID-19 go back out on the field. I, I don't know. That's kind of a big contradiction for me. And I think it, the blame all falls on Justin Turner. This was the most irresponsible thing we've saw, seen an athlete an athlete all season with COVID do. Yeah, I get it. Your team won a championship. Yeah, I would understand, say, going back to my high school soccer days, if I got pulled off the pitch because of my COVID test came back positive, I would feel the same way. But it's just irresponsible. You just put 25 players or 25 players 
at risk. You, you put your entire roster at risk. You put your entire coaching staff at risk. You put the entire other team at risk. You put every fan in attendance at Globe Life Park at risk. It's very again. It, it's irresponsible, I, but I I think there's going to be ramifications for this. Again, and you said it perfectly. The, we understand completely that he wants to go celebrate. This is a, a game. This is a moment that you've been waiting for your whole career. Like from the moment that you pick up a baseball, like this is the same thing with football players, basketball players, NHL, tennis, whatever. The moment you pick it up, you you say, I want to be the best. I want to hold that ring. I want to wear that ring, hold the trophy, do whatever. I get that. I completely get that. The sports world understands. This year just had an ex, ex, existential crisis go on, essentially. This is an extenuating circumstance. This is something none of us could control. And again, kudos to you. Turner had a great year. He had a great World Series. He's playing great defense, great offense. And I would understand completely. You want to go celebrate with the guys that you fought so hard with all year to get. This World Series was not easy for the, for the Dodgers. The Rays pushed every time. And again, we are we are not sitting here wanting knowing that he wanted to go celebrate with his team. But that being said, if the GM, the manager, Rob Manfred, whoever cares this much, I, I would I would turn to be like Justin. I know you want to celebrate, man. I get that. I one hundred percent get that. Like I would even be okay with him just going out and taking pictures. I'd be okay with that. But you're out there actively celebrating and everything, man. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how much I can justify it. I understand completely you want to be out there. But at the same time, you got to look at the big picture of stuff. And again, it, this, this, this is like saying Tom Brady just won a uh, Super Bowl and you're not going to let him go celebrate it. I get that. It's huge. This is a huge moment. And th- this is why it's just a talking point. But that being said... If your job as a sport is to maintain the health and safety of your players, that was not the right move. It was not the right move. And it's like I said, it's irresponsible. I get that he wants to celebrate. There's no excuse for him coming back out to celebrate. I'm I'm sorry. I've had my I've had family members with COVID I've had friends with COVID it's not fun. And the fact that at least one other Dodger is probably going to come down with COVID because of this, it, it just makes my blood boil. That being said, do you think he will be suspended for next year? At, no, for any point. No, no, not at all. Again, I understand the justification for it. I think that maybe a fine, if anything, but I don't see a suspension. Not for that. Not for that. I I, I agree. I I don't. It's going to be a hefty fine. Well, hefty for you and me. Probably not so hefty for Justin Turner. He makes a little bit more money than we do, Zach. Yeah, just a little bit. But yeah. Uh, And then real quick, way too early World Series pick for 2021. (sighs) Oh boy, this is this is not a good one. Um so as in terms of next year, um part of me wants to turn and tell you the New York Yankees are the best shot 
in the AL to go in there and win it. Uh, they still have a dangerous pitching rotation, a dangerous batting lineup. John Carlos Stanton opted back into his contract to stay with the Yankees for the next seven years. Why wouldn't you? You're making like $200 million over the next seven years. Why wouldn't? Again, that's crazy. But that being said, this is before free agency. This is before anything like that. So anything can happen. But, but I need my Red Sox to go and get some pitchers. I need to see it. Cleveland, you need to keep Francisco Lindor. You get rid of Francisco Lindor, you're not doing anything this year. Um, the Astros, nope. Nope. Um, it's, it's difficult to say right here, right now, because again, a lot of players opting in the contracts, players opting out. We're still in that whole spiral. Uh, free agency is going to be a big thing. Nobody was thinking the angels were going to do anything. And then suddenly they add Anthony Rendon to that lineup. Um, so it's, it's a little too easy to tell right now. Um, but if I, if I had to give you one right now, I'd say the two teams in the best position to make it that far would probably be the Yankees and Atlanta. Okay, I'm going to follow a bit of a similar line. I want to see the Indians re-sign Francisco Lindor. I don't think it's going to happen. I want to say Minnesota is going to have a bounce-back year again, but they've floundered in the postseason the last two years. The Yankees haven't been able to get anything done in the postseason and I think coming out of the AL is going to be a surprise team. The Buffalo Blue Jays. I, you fell for it. You fell for it. Uh, I think it's going to be the Oakland A's. They put a lot of good pitching and bats together out in Oakland. Uh, they are no longer foreshad- or foreshadowed by the Raider, uh, Raiders in the fall. So we'll see what happens, but I think the A's have a chance to come out and have a really strong season. And then on the other side, we're going to have Bay Area versus SoCal in the World Series. The San Diego Padres have the pieces to be fantastic. They could be a record-setting club next year with their pitching and their bats. I love that. And I know the A's are a bit of a long shot, but I think they've got what it takes. You know, I was a big fan of the do- of uh, the Padres going into this, and the Padres completely slipped my mind. I'm changing it. I'm complete. I'm changing it. I completely forgot about the San Diego Padres for a minute there. Um, Atlanta looked good, but Atlanta's got questions. The Dodgers are also a team that I'm not going to discount right now especially with the fact that you've got Mookie Betts locked up for the next 10 plus years. That lineup is going to continue to look scary. And on top of that, their pitching rotation is still pretty solid. I'm interested to see what Clayton Kershaw does and if they have the money to bring him back. But you're 100% right. This Padres team looked really good down the stretch. Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, you know, Will Myers, this pitching rotation is solid. Going after Mike Clevenger, that's not just a move for this year. That's a move for the future. You go get one more solid like bullpen arm, maybe a solid closer, or maybe you go get another starter, like another starting pitcher. This team is literally like probably a piece away. Probably a piece away. This Padres team could be really, really good. 
So those are our picks. We'll go back next year and talk about those more. But the other big story in Major League Baseball right now was former Astros skipper A.J. Hinch was named the manager of the Detroit Tigers. And Alex Cora is among the final candidate for the Red Sox manager. I'm going to get on my soapbox. Oh, boy. I'm going to get on my soapbox. Oh, boy. Here it comes. A.J. Hinch. Yeah, he was fired. But I still think he should serve at least some form of suspension for his cheating scandals. The only reason he wasn't in baseball last year, well, he would have been suspended the entire season. The only reason he's allowed to be in baseball this year is because he got fired. In my eyes, that's not serving the suspension. And I think Major League Baseball should uphold at least some of the uh, suspension for A.J. Hinch in the disgraceful way he and his team cheated, especially because the Astros themselves barely got in trouble for cheating. The thing that I'm going to partially agree with you with is Rob Manfred said that they were suspended for a season. Now, a typical season is 162 games. This year, I want to say it was 60, right on the dot, plus postseason. Now, I think that maybe you add on a couple of games or so because of the fact you didn't technically play the full MLB season as it was intended. Maybe like something like that. Um, but at the same time, I'm kind of against them continuing to get suspended. Um, they did their time. They were taken away from the game they loved for a little bit. Um, I've, I have said my piece time and time again about the Houston Astros and the sign-stealing scandal and everything like that, so I'm kind of done talking about it. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I see the point of it between A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora, both of whom were let go. Carlos Beltran was the same way. He was uh, hired by the Mets, and he didn't even get to coach a game because he was fired for it. Um, it's got ramifications. It will continue to be a black mark for the Houston Astros and anybody associated with the team. But that being said, if anything, maybe a couple of games this season that they continue to get suspended for uh, to continue through the whole cycle of MLB baseball. But at the same time, I have no problem with AJ Hinch and Alex Cora coming back. I have no problem with it, but you better believe that AJ Hinch is going to be watched. My here's what I am really upset about. You said they were taken away from the game. They love in my eyes. If you cheat because you can't handle losing a world series and you can't figure out how to win one without cheating, you don't love the game. You love winning. And the fact that once again, like they missed this season. Yeah. Pete Rose has a lifetime ban because he gambled on his own games. If you are going to let A.J. Hinch get off scot-free, basically, after one season out of the league, you need to reinstate Pete Rose. You need to, un- you need to end the band on Pete- ban on Pete Rose. You're nodding your head, but I don't think... I think you're scared of what, to, of what I'll say. If I, I, I'm, not, I'm not scared because, again, I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, if you love the game so much, why would you do something like this to harm it? Um, you, you don't just hurt your team and your own self image. You hurt the game. You hurt the game. Um, and, and baseball, baseball has been around over a hundred years. 
baseball has seen its share of scandals. You know, you look back at the White Sox scandal couple like years ago with the World Series, placing a crud ton of money on you losing it, and then you throw the World Series shoeless Joe Jackson in that year. So, like the game of baseball has been tested. And I, if I've said it once, I've said it again. And I know back when we were on Falcon Radio, you and I had this conversation where Rob Manfred did not do enough for baseball when they only gave a year to AJ Hinch, to Alex Cora, and essentially just slapped a couple of fines to the Astros. That's not enough. That's not enough. And again, I've said my piece on it, and I'd, I'd rather not go back into it because I've, I've started to just let it go. But that being said, you know, I, part of me thinks that A.J. Hinch shouldn't be allowed to coach again. But at the same time, again, he did serve his suspension. So if, if you were to turn and say, okay, we're going to give 102 games, because again, 162 total games, that's how I would view a whole season. You turn and say, okay, from the moment the team starts play, from now until game 103, you are not allowed to interact with this team in any way, shape, or form. Obviously, during the offseason stuff, I think he should still be able to continue to build and be a, a like a GM of sorts and help manage the team. But when the season starts, he's done. Maybe something similar to that. Like, look back at Tom Brady with the deflate gate scandal a couple of years back. He was able to play during the preseason, but the moment the regular season started, he had to step away for the games. And I think maybe that's something you go and institute. Let him coach spring training. Let him go build a repertoire with the Tigers and this new organization. But once the regular season starts, you turn and you say, all right, AJ, you have to answer for this. You have to go and sit for 102 games to span out the 162. Maybe that's the best way to approach it. But I, I don't know. I, don't, I still think Rob Manford did a really bad job handling this, but I don't know. I'm, I've said my piece. We're going to stop talking about it before one of us gets angry. <laughs> one or both of us, because that, that whole – we spent an hour – just yelling into a microphone in Falcon Radio about that. <laughs> well, let's go from the MLB into the NFL. As I mentioned earlier, today, November the 3rd of 2020, was the NFL trade deadline. And very similar to last year, we really didn't see all that much as in terms of players getting moved around. Uh, a couple of notable ones were moved around early on. Everson Griffin was traded from the Cowboys to the Lions. Yannick Ngakwe went from the Vikings to the Ravens. Carlos Dunlap was traded from the Bengals to the Seahawks. And then within the past two days, Avery Williamson, the linebacker from the Jets, was traded to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Desmond King, cornerback of the Chargers, was traded to the Tennessee Titans. K1 Alexander, the linebacker from the 49ers, was traded to the Saints. And then today, Isaiah Ford of the Dolphins got traded to the Patriots for a seventh round pick. And then another running back from Miami was traded. It's so, weird to say a few years ago, this would have been a busy trade deadline. This year, relatively speaking, not so much. Um, I like the moves that the Steelers and Ravens both made. I think it's going to help them up in their respective postseason runs. Uh, I think Desmond King is going to really help the Titans secondary, especially coming off a loss to the Bengals. 
and in Gakwe. That's huge. The Ravens defense was already one of the best in the league. And you add a piece like Ngakwe. Holy cow. That's just that's that's insanity. So Ngakwe actually got to play against the Steelers and listening to the radio broadcast, monitoring it through the NFL app and ESPN. Ngakwe was all over the field. And that's kind of interesting. And I mean, it, it, he was only with the team for about a week. But Unique Ngakwe is huge for this team. And I've been saying it from the moment he got traded. How do teams like the Chiefs and the Ravens have money still to spend? It's insane. The Avery Williamson trade for the Steelers is fantastic. It's a fantastic trade. Uh, Devin Bush went down with an ACL for the year. And Robert Spillane has been playing really well, as is Vince Williams in the middle of that Steelers defense, which is statistically the best defense in football. Uh, at least going into this past week. I'm still waiting to get more stats for this coming week. But Avery Williamson does nothing but fortify that defense. And it makes up for Devin Bush a little bit going away. Uh, Avery Williamson is only on a one-year deal. So at the end of the year, if they don't want to re-sign him, they don't have to. And Avery Williamson helps out in case Robert Spillane or Vince Williams gets hurt. So fantastic trades all the way around. We'll go from there. Were there any teams you wanted to see make a trade that didn't? You know, and and I'm kind of going to steal your thunder ever so slightly. The team that I'm most surprised that didn't make a move is the Cleveland Browns. And this is a Cleveland Browns team that very clearly is built to win soon. Um, Of course, you're going to have a couple of contracts here in the next two, three years that you're going to need to address. But this is a team where I see every week on Twitter, um, Andrew Sandejo get blasted. This is a team that is missing greedy Williams. Honestly, Grant Delpit's been is on IR for the year. That's hurting. But first of all, I'm surprised that no secondary help was added. No safety, no corner, no nothing. I'm very surprised that that was not addressed. Um, and on the other end of it, I'm surprised you didn't, the Browns didn't go get a receiver. Um, Odell is done for the year with a torn ACL. He he is done. Jarvis Landry has been playing hurt. Rashard Higgins has been playing hurt. Donovan Peoples Jones is a uh, a rookie. I want to say drafted in the seventh round out of Michigan. Other than that, if you were to ask me who the wide receivers are in Cleveland, I couldn't tell you. Um, you still have Austin Hooper and David and Joku. Uh, Kareem Hunt is playing really well right now. Nick Chubb should be back soon after the bye week. But of all things, I'm so surprised that they didn't try to go get like a, a, a low level receiver out of maybe like the Jets, maybe go and get like, a, um, I don't know, maybe try to get Denzel Mims out of them. But that probably wouldn't have happened. Maybe go after like a Tyrell Williams from the Jets, maybe go to Jacksonville and try to get DJ Shark from them. I don't know, something like that. I was very, very shocked that the Browns didn't do anything at this deadline. Um, it, on one hand, it shows that you have confidence in the guys in your building, but this is a team that just lost at home to the Raiders. They've been embarrassed this year by the Ravens and the, uh, the Steelers, and they still got a good couple of tough teams. They got to play still the rest of the NFC South is coming. So I, I'm just, I'm a little surprised that the Browns didn't make any moves whatsoever. I am too. Um, I think I'm hoping they go out and sign a free agent. As I've stated before, Eli Apple is available. 
Eli Apple was cut and why they haven't gone and signed him yet. Yeah, he's not as a dynamic as he was at Ohio State or his first few seasons in the NFL, but you need help in the secondary. I would have liked to see them also go after a linebacker because outside of Mac Wilson, there's nobody. We Mac Wilson is the only actual linebacker on this team. I'm okay with them not going after receivers because they have Hooper Bryant in Ninjoku in the tight end spot, and Kareem Hunt can line up as a receiver when Chubb comes back. We've seen him do that. But I think it goes to show the Browns are going to try to rush the ball more as the uh, weather cools down in Cleveland. Um, something they were not able to do very effectively against the Raiders. Um, but we'll see what happens when Nick Chubb is back. Uh, I'm not going to talk a lot about the Browns game or Browns game right now. But really, that the biggest takeaway from that game is how much this roster misses Nick Chubb. So we'll go from there and we'll stay in the AFC North because there are three out of the four teams in the AFC North have had to either had a positive test, had a presumptive uh, case, or have had to do meetings remotely. Uh, the Ravens had a player test positive, I believe, after their game on Sunday. Steelers, Marlon Humphrey. Yeah, Marlon Humphrey. Steelers held their meetings remotely out of abundance of safety. And then yesterday... You told me the Steelers held their meetings remotely, didn't you? No, I did not. I thought you did. No, the Steelers, the only way the Steelers have been affected by COVID-19 so far, or no, no, they did. They did. You're right. I had to think back on that. The Steelers and the Vikings both did. Yep. Uh, You're right. My mistake. uh, And then the Browns announcing yesterday that they had a player exhibiting symptoms, but as of now, there has been no player testing positive in Cleveland. I want to start off with the Browns real quick on this simply because I think they are in the best position with this considering they're going into their bye week. I don't know if the rest of the Browns are like Odell Beckham, they have an understanding with COVID. So COVID kind of leaves them alone. (laughs) So I, I think the Browns can shake this. They have until the 18th and hopefully they can get some more in-person practices going after a negative test after negative tests. Who knows? The Steelers, on the other hand, they can't afford to have any player test positive. They already had their whole schedule rearranged. And Zach, as our resident Steelers expert, how detrimental would it be to the Steelers to have a COVID outbreak? Even like nothing has been confirmed. We just want to say that no reports of positive tests. It's just out of an abundance of safety that they were doing meetings remotely yesterday. So first and foremost, the reason that they did those meetings is because of the recent game against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, The Steelers have been very, very fortunate this year. And as I knock on wood right now uh, to not have had any outbreaks happen. I, again, I am knocking on wood. Um, The Steelers that being said, the only thing that they have had that have been affected by COVID-19 was the Tennessee Titans week. Um, yesterday's COVID tests for the Steelers, the, the second of November came back negative. Everything from today, the third came back negative. So they're looking good as in terms of detriment. Um, it would depend. And it's, it's, curious because there have been teams that have had the entire schedule reshaped because of COVID-19. 
Um, the Titans got lucky with that. Um, I still sit here and think that in some circumstances that games should have to be forfeit, but I, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, as in saying how detrimental would it be? I wouldn't say it would be all that detrimental. Um, the Steelers haven't had a bye week since week four. We're entering into week nine. Um, right now wouldn't be the best of times, but it's a time that the Steelers can rest. Um, not that I want to tell anybody intentionally to go get COVID-19, but just like any team, an extra week of, you know, rest, I don't think really hurts anybody. And onto the Ravens, I think they would be the most impacted if they're, if Humphrey's case turns into more players or staff testing positive. The Ravens have not had the best of season compared to last year where they were really good and really compared to the beginning of this year until they played that they looked unbeatable until they played the chiefs and then the chiefs beat them. And now the Steelers have beaten them. If they have players that have to miss because of COVID where they have to move games around because of COVID, how is that going to hurt the Ravens? I mean, it would it would hurt the Ravens a little bit. Uh, they went and announced that Marlon Humphrey, Matthew Judon, a couple of these guys um, are being put in close proximity. And the thing that hurts is the fact that this defense is going to be weakened and you're going to go play the Colts. The Ravens over the next couple of games cannot afford to lose players. Uh, Ronnie Stanley is done for the year after the Steelers game. Um, the Steelers within the first couple of minutes of the game took two offensive linemen out of the game and the Matthew Judon pushed an official. Um, it made the game a lot easier for Pittsburgh, but I'm not going to jump into that too much. But that being said, uh, the Ravens would be in the biggest spot. This is their gauntlet for the next couple of weeks. The Steelers this past week, the Colts, the Patriots, the Titans, and then the Steelers on Thanksgiving night. This is not a team where you can afford to drop any games over the next couple of weeks that they want to remain in the hunt, not just for the AFC North, but for a high seed in the uh, playoffs. So it's going to be very interesting to see what ends up happening with Baltimore. Uh, And if anything, they might just be without a couple of players for the Colts game this week. It will move on from there. Tampa Bay and Antonio Brown, he'll be available to play next week, which is big for an already scary receiving core in Tampa, but, but could we see this cause some issues in the Tampa locker room? Because Antonio Brown in the last few seasons have been, has been known to have some issues. Well, the thing that I want to bring up with Antonio Brown, first of all, a couple, uh, a quick fact, Antonio Brown is currently living with Tom Brady in Tampa. Funny enough, um, this is suddenly a very crowded wide receiver room as in terms of talent. Um, you've got Mike Evans, who's been one of the best wide receivers of the last decade. Uh, he has always had a 1,000-yard uh, receiving year ever since he's been in the NFL. Um, Chris Godwin is really solid when he's on the field. He has had some injury issues this year. On top of that, you've got Scotty Miller, who has kind of had a breakout year. He's looked really good when he gets the ball in his hands. Um, on top of that, Rob Gronkowski is still with you. Cameron Brate's still with you. OJ Howard is injured for the year. Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette, as well as Deshaun McCoy, are pretty decent. 
You know, you're adding him to a team that, and, and I said this when the Browns brought Bay, or Odell Beckham in, or maybe it was uh, Austin Hooper. You've got all these targets around you. You're going to have to satisfy everybody. And Odell was a big personality, which is why Jacob and I have talked about is Baker Mayfield better without Odell. Antonio Brown is the same way. Antonio Brown is a big personality. Now, we haven't seen him since he was in a Patriots uniform last year. Last time we truly got to see Antonio Brown was during the months between his trade from Pittsburgh to Oakland at the time it was Oakland to after the Patriots signing. So what Antonio Brown are we going to see? Are we going to see the Antonio Brown that is calm, collective, is quiet and just goes with it? Or are we going to see another Antonio Brown who is all flash and everything? That's what I'm excited to see. The Buccaneers get New Orleans this week. So we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, From there, we'll go to Zach. You wanted to update us on your player of the year uh, nominees for the midway point of the season. And Zach, why don't you go ahead and give us that list and a little brief description on why you chose them? Okay, so at the beginning of the season and at a quarter of the way through the season, I have been updating who my MVP major or my major NFL awards are. So MVP, coach of the year, offensive rookie of the year, stuff like that. And my list has changed quite a bit. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and take you through a couple of those right now. Jacob will give his input on it. Uh, First and foremost, my MVP from the week four edition of this was Russell Wilson. And my halfway through the season pick for MVP is Mr. Russell Wilson, the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. Look, Russell Wilson is playing out of his mind right now, but he's been in a little bit of a slump over the past couple of games. Um, I think that it's opening the door to other people such as uh, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Derek Henry, maybe even still Josh Allen. Um, but Russell Wilson right now has the MVP in my eyes, but it's it's getting closer and he's got to get back to throwing those crazy numbers again. So he is my MVP as of right now. My coach of the year has changed from Bruce Arians to Matt LaFleur back in week four to yet another one. As of right now, Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think is deserving of coach of the year. Uh, He's got his team at seven and oh. He has bounced back completely from an eight and eight season. I think he should have won it last year because he took a third string quarterback and brought the Steelers almost into the playoffs. Um, that being said, Tomlin is coached really well. He's got the best defense in football. His offense is really solid and he's just beaten, not just the Tennessee Titans, but the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, if he goes 16 and oh, I see no reason as to why not to give it to him. Um, you gave it to Ron Rivera back when he went 16 and, or no, he went 15 and one that year. That was the year that Cam Newton won it. So that's the way that I would justify it. There are two other coaches that I would put into the running for this award. Bruce Arians is one of them. I would put Bruce Arians back into this conversation. And the other is Kevin Stefanski. If Kevin Stefanski leads the Browns to the postseason and he wins a game in the postseason, I think he deserves coach of the year. If he takes the Browns to the playoffs and they win in the playoffs, he deserves coach of the century. I think we just need to put that out there. 
Moving along into Offensive Player of the Year. To start it off, it was Michael Thomas. Week four, it was Alvin Kamara. Now, it's DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf is superhuman. DK Metcalf is playing out of his mind. He's among the league leaders in receptions. He's in the top five. DeAndre Hopkins leads the league. DK Metcalf's right there. And if you don't think this guy is special, look back to the Arizona Cardinals film after Buda Baker almost had a pick six and watch DK Metcalf chase him down. DK Metcalf is a freak of nature. He is really good. He's very talented. He's lucky to have a great quarterback. But DK Metcalf in his second year as a professional athlete, you're getting offensive player of the year as of right now. Defensive player of the year. This is one I've, I'm, I'm actually sincerely torn on because there have been a couple of players who have played really well this year. If I had to give it right now, I would probably give it to Miles Garrett in Cleveland. Leads the league in sacks, forced fumbles. He's really good. And just the amount of pressure that he puts onto an offense. Look back to the Colts game on that. Phillip Rivers was thrown off because Miles Garrett was getting past arguably the best offensive line in football. Now, I, I would I would also put a couple of other players into this conversation because when I think of defensive player of the year, I look at a guy who makes an impact all around, which is why Miles Garrett is up here right now. Um, that being said, guys like TJ Watt, who not only get after the quarterback and create pressure, but also can drop back in coverage. He's got an interception, some fumble recoveries. He's got to be more flashy is, I guess, the better word I can say about TJ Watt. But if I had to give the award right now, it would be Miles Garrett. Now we go into the rookie stuff. My offensive rookie of the year has not changed. It is Joe Burrow. Uh, Joe Burrow is playing like crazy right now. He's like third, I think, in passing yards. And he's with the Bengals. And I don't mean to discredit the Cincinnati Bengals, but the Cincinnati Bengals over the past couple of years have not been that good. Joe Burrow is playing well. He brought that championship caliber LSU football to Cincinnati. But this door is open still to two people. And Jacob agreed with me completely when I talked to him about this last night. That's Justin Herbert with the Chargers and Chase Claypool with the Steelers, both of whom are playing exceptionally well right now. Any one of those three guys can win this award, but for now, I give the edge to Burrow. My defensive rookie of the year has changed. It was Chase Young, Chase Young, but now it's Jeremy Chin of the Carolina Panthers. And that's just because of the pure impact he has had for these Panthers. The Panthers have used every single defensive pick in this or every single pick in the draft this past year on defense. And Jeremy chin may just be playing the best. I watched the Falcons Panthers game and chin was everywhere. Sacks pass defenses, just playing good coverage. I would put him in the running for defensive player of the year. And finally, my comeback player of the year has not changed either. It is Ben Roethlisberger. Now, there were talks. Well, Cam Newton's coming back. Cam Newton can play really well. Cam Newton's not playing all that well. You want to talk about a quarterback who didn't play all of last year, who's playing really well? Ben Roethlisberger has his team at 7-0. This is an 8-8 eight eight team that he took to 7-0 this year. Ben Roethlisberger has put up great stats. His completion rating is really good. And on top of that, he's putting together a really solid resume for a Steelers team that as of right now is destined to be the number one seed in the AFC. I don't see any player who can challenge Ben Roethlisberger for comeback player of the year right now. 
I agree with everything. As much as it pains me to give any award to Big Ben, I I agree. Uh, we'll go from here, and we're gonna do. I'm not gonna throw the surprise one at you, Zach, just for time reasons. Uh, but we're gonna go to a new segment called the Smitties, where I will ask Zach a. Uh, I will give Zach a question or. Who is blank this year, this week? Who is blank for this rendition of the Smitties? It's all NFL and there's only two questions. The first Smitty award. Ron Swanson's pyramid of greatness. Best performer from week eight goes to. Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, granted, you're playing the New York Jets. But Ron Swanson would sit there and smile as he watches Patrick Mahomes decimate, and I mean decimate, a team known as the New York Jets. Look, the Jets are going 0-16. The only game I can see them winning is maybe this week's game against the Patriots because the Patriots are playing that poorly. But listen to this stat line from Patrick Mahomes from this week. All right. 31 of 42 for 416 yards and five touchdowns. The greatest player in the game this week was Patrick Mahomes. And the Smitty for the Toby Flenderson Biggest Loser Award goes to... This is the Green Bay Packers. This is the Green Bay Packers. This is supposedly the year of, oh, angry Aaron. And you lost to the one in five Vikings at Lambeau at one o'clock. Aaron Rodgers, the, 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 the Packers in general this year have been a joke. They've been a meme. They, they lost to the Buccaneers and I give them. That's fine. The Buccaneers are a, we are a good team this year. You lost to the Vikings at home. At home. This is a team that's, that went almost undefeated last year until the Eagles beat them. This is a team that went and said, well, we could win this year, but we're going to go for the future. This is a team that gave Aaron Rodgers no help. Devontae Adams is it. Aaron Jones is out. Jamal Williams is supposed to be the, the next man up. and I mean, he played well enough, but not good enough. This Packers defense has been diced this year. This Packers team is a disappointment in my eyes. This is a team that should be six and one. Again, I give the Buccaneers loss to them. I give that to them because the Buccaneers played well. But you played the Vikings who have sucked this year. They have not played well. I, I the, the biggest loser of this week is Green Bay because Green Bay should be towering over this division right now, but you're still fighting with the bears for first and the lions aren't that far out of it. That, that for me, that's the biggest disappointment is the green Bay Packers. Yeah. And the sad thing is Aaron, you could put the stadium custodian out on the field and Aaron Rodgers would make him look like an MVP receiver and they still can't win a game right now, right now, at least. Uh, you're, you've lost two of your last three games. And of you're, course, so, yeah. 
This is supposed to be the year of angry Aaron. Aaron Rodgers should be towering over everybody for an MVP, pushing for a Super Bowl. But you're you're barely winning your division. You're fighting for your division with the Bears right now. And the Bears don't have an offense. It, yeah. it's, it's sad to say because a very good friend of mine is a Packers fan. He was very upset when I talked to him that they didn't make any deals at the deadline for Will Fuller. The team needed a receiver. Alan Lazard was good, but he got hurt. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is not a number two. He's a, he's a good three, but he's not a good two. Devontae Adams puts up good numbers, but he needs help. And you didn't give him anything. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm asking for a trade. Yeah. We'll move on. We're only going to talk about two NFL games because we've still got a lot to get to and we're running short on time. Uh, we're going to talk about the Bengals getting their second win over the Titans. And the only reason we're going to talk about this is one, Joe Burrow looked fantastic again. And two, uh, Adam Schefter reporting about an hour ago that the Titans are planning to release Vic Beasley and Jonathan Joseph. Shaking well, up the Vic Vic Beasley hasn't done all that much so far this year. He was hard to get into practices. And uh, this is a Titans team. If you look back to the Steelers game, could not get to Ben Roethlisberger. And this is a team with Jadevian Clowney on it. This this Titans pass rush has not been all that good. So I just want to make this one question. I have this one question for you, Zach. Could you see a team like the Browns going after Joseph for help in the secondary? Well, Jonathan Joseph is a good piece. He's old. Um, and, and I use old in the NFL as a relative term because when you typically think of the word old, you typically think of somebody like 50 or older. Uh, Jonathan Joseph is late into his 30s, I, if not in his early 40s. Um, I could see the Browns going after a guy like him only for some veteran presence back there. Uh, but with Greedy Williams supposed to come back at some point this season, I'm not sure. Um, and I, I'd leave it at that. I, I could see a team that needs cornerback help go after him, but the fact that the Titans cut him should raise some sort of red flag. And then the Dolphins and Tua Tungavailoa getting his first win in his first NFL start. You know, th- this Dolphins team looks good. This defense carried this team to a win. Um... And Tua got a win over the uh, L.A. Rams, who a couple years ago was in the Super Bowl. So uh, congratulations to you, Tua. Um, I I hope that your NFL career continues to be a success um, and continue proving people wrong. Jacob and I are two of those people. We thought that it was too early for you to get the start over Ryan Fitzpatrick, but so far you looked the part. It was only one game, but hopefully you continue to follow along. So good job, Tua. Good job. We'll move on now to college football, and first off in the Big Ten, we uh, Ohio State rolled. They do lose uh, a uh, defensive back uh, for the rest of the season. The name's escaping me at the moment. Uh, we'll find it later, but it, can Ohio State bounce back from this? Ohio State can easily bounce back from it. They are the team to beat in the Big Ten. They are the team to beat. Michigan flounders versus Michigan state. And really there's no reason Michigan should have lost that game. No, Michigan just Michigan state just lost to Rutgers. Rutgers has been one of the worst teams in college football for the past couple of years. Rutgers is starting to build back, but 
Michigan State lost to them, and now you go and beat Michigan. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Cut that. All right. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh with Ohio State and Michigan State have not beaten them since he's been gone from the Niners into college football. He has not been able to beat them all that much. So it's it's unexcusable. Mich- Michigan is kind of becoming you know what the Cleveland Browns were a couple years back. This is a team that so many people have high expectations for and everybody puts all their hope and faith into this team. Oh my gosh, Michigan's going to be so good this year. And then they don't. That was how the Browns were a couple years back. Oh, the Browns are going to be so good this year. Don't worry. Cleveland's going to be fine. They're going to be, you know, playoff contenders, Super Bowl. And then they disappoint you. And I mean, I don't, I don't mean any disrespect to Cleveland or to Michigan, but Harbaugh's got to go. Harbaugh's a problem. Uh, and then we'll go. Wisconsin and Nebraska was canceled this week. Big 10 wouldn't let Nebraska play UT Chattanooga, even after Chattanooga had all their players tested and all came back negative. And then Wisconsin and Purdue was postponed this week. Two questions. The first, should the Big Ten allow Purdue to schedule a non-conference game? I mean, the, the way that they're doing it is they're trying to keep it all in-house, but as long as UT Chattanooga or anybody were to sit there and say, yes, our players are adhering to the guidelines, I'd say it's okay, but at the same time, by going like to an FBS school or an FCS school, whichever you go to, um, you're not getting the same level of competition as the rest of the Big Ten, and I think that's the reason why you didn't see UT Chattanooga get allowed for Nebraska, um, just simply for the reasons I just said. Um, whereas Ohio State has to go play Indiana, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, you're going to go let Nebraska go trample a UT Chattanooga team. I, I understand exactly why the Big Ten does not allow it and why they should not allow a non-conference game. Should Wisconsin be forced to forfeit these games if they have to miss another one? If You're they, talking if, a third if they, game? If they miss a third game uh, as it's canceled, they will not be eligible for the Big Ten championship game. So bear that in mind. But should they be forced to go back and take a forfeit loss to Nebraska and Purdue if another game is canceled? I'm going to say I don't know to that. And the reason being is, you know, you have to play three games to be eligible for bowl contention. This isn't just the MAC or the SEC. This is everybody. Um, that being said, the Big Ten, the only team that's affected by this right now is Wisconsin. Now, if you were to look back and see, you know, another outbreak breakout or something like that for another team or two that, you know, impacts Nebraska or Purdue, then I think it's worth looking and seeing, okay, maybe just maybe we look and see, should we make these forfeits? If it affects multiple teams, seeing that it's only one game that's getting affected by it. I don't think so. Um, unless of course, like you sit there and you say, Oh, well, Purdue's, you know, six and oh, but the reason that they don't make it into the Big Ten Championship is because they didn't play that one game. I think that that should be something that lo- is looked at later down the line. We'll move on to the ACC. Clemson looked vulnerable 
without Trevor Lawrence against Boston College. We'll lump this one in with Notre Dame, who got a 31-13 win versus Georgia Tech. That's the game. That's the game this week. This is the game of the week in college football to me. Notre Dame versus Clemson. And I think the winner of this game goes on to win the ACC. I would agree with that. But here's the only other thing I throw at this is that these two teams will meet again. Clemson and Notre Dame will play a second time this year, in my opinion. I think the ACC championship game is this exact game. Uh, which is the reason why I don't know if you see Notre Dame pull out all the stops this week. Um, if Clemson knocks off Notre Dame, that this opens the door for the college football playoff to a lot of teams, mainly Cincinnati. But that being said, Clemson looked really, really bad without Trevor Lawrence. They were getting blown out by Boston College until the defense remembered, oh, we're Clemson. We can stop any team. This is the reason why I think Clemson could stick around in this game. I still think Notre Dame wins, but it's not going to be that big of a margin. Um, Go Irish. (laughs) I'll agree with that one just today. We move to the SEC. Alabama wins 41-0. They are by far the best team in the SEC right now, but they will have to go through Georgia, even though Georgia underperformed against Kentucky. Yeah, I still think that Alabama is going to meet Georgia again. Uh, Georgia and Alabama have already played this year, but I th- I think Florida is a contender. I think Georgia is a contender. And again, Alabama still has Auburn later down the line. I'd imagine that they're going to see each other too. So Alabama by no means is anywhere close to ruling the SEC with an iron fist this year, but Alabama looks good. Uh, we'll just talk real quick or quick Pac-12 comes back this week. Is there a team in the Pac-12 that can make the college football playoff? If any team, it's Oregon. Uh, Oregon has a couple of players coming back. One of their most notable guys is Panay Sewell, uh, an offensive lineman who is projected to go within the top five picks of this year's NFL draft. Um, this team lost Justin Herbert. I think that's going to be huge that this team lost Justin Herbert, who's been a consistent starter for Oregon for a while. But for Pac, for the Pac-12 to make the playoffs, more specifically Oregon, because Oregon is the only Pac-12 team to have a team in that. Um, uh, no. For Oregon. Washington. Oregon's the, Washington's ranked? Oh, I thought you meant make the college football playoff before. Sorry, I misheard. No, or, no Oregon uh, is the only ranked Pac-12 team right now. Uh, for Oregon to do it because they are in the best position, they have to run the table. And it's it's I, I don't like turning the teams and saying for you to have any chance, you have to run the table. But unfortunately, in this case, it's true. The SEC and the ACC are in full swing. The Big Ten, Ohio State is a true contender. Uh, a couple of dark horses in there. Cincinnati is a dark horse in there. Um, Coastal with Carolina, with, even. Coastal Carolina looks really good, but you won't see them make it in. If UCF didn't make it a couple years back, there's no way the coastal Carolina makes it in there, but you know, the Cowboys of Oklahoma state just lost. There's a lot of things that could happen with the PAC 12. They are not out of it, but without uh, the quarterback that we've seen in Oregon for the past couple of seasons, not there. Who do, who do we get to see? That's what the, the biggest question I have for Oregon. And until I see that, I can't really say that they're going to make the college football playoff. Big 12, we just said it. Texas wins over Oklahoma State. 
Cowboys' first loss is the Big 12 out of the college football playoffs now? I don't know. Um, and I imagine yes, but the reason I say I don't know is the outcome of the Clemson-Notre Dame game. And it's a result of a couple of different teams because that brings up the question, can I let a one-loss team in here over an, an, unranked, an unbeaten team? So if you're going to look at it this down the line, can you justify the Oklahoma State Cowboys over, say, like an undefeated uh, Cincinnati? And I don't know that you can do that. Uh, the so it's, it's going to come down to that. Sorry, Zach. The Mid-American Conference returns uh, tomorrow. Well, the day this will be released, not the day of recording. Uh, we, If you want to hear about the Mac, go back and listen to our uh, Maction football preview special on the podcast, or you can go watch one of three live streams on Sportscaster Live. In the American Cincy, another big win for them over Memphis, and Coastal Carolina also looking good. Yeah, I'd still sit here and say Cincinnati is in a position where they controlled their own destiny. Uh, looking at the top 10 here, the top eight mostly remain unchanged. Uh, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Georgia still remain at one through five. Cincinnati moves up to six. Texas A&M moves up to seven. Florida goes to eight. BYU to nine. And Wisconsin fell to 10. Uh, Cincinnati is in a great, great spot here. Uh, looking at it, if Clemson were to knock off Notre Dame, not once, but twice, Notre Dame will tumble. So Cincinnati will move up at least one spot there. And then Georgia and Alabama, I think, are still going to meet again. Um, and again, that brings up the conversation that I just said. Can you let a one to two loss team into the college football playoff with an unbeaten Cincinnati sitting right there? And that's the question that the committee is going to have to look at. So I'm I'd be concerned. I'd be a little concerned in that situation. Few other notes from the top twenty-five: Oklahoma State drops from eight to fourteen. Miami moves up to eleven. Coastal Carolina up to fifteen. And Oregon, the only Pac-12 team at number twelve. That'll take us to underreaction or overreaction. And I want you to start out asking me the first question because I want you to answer both these Steelers questions. All right, overreaction or underreaction, Jim Harbaugh will be fired by the Michigan Wolverines if they lose to Ohio State at the end of the year. This is an underreaction. Jim Harbaugh has never beaten Ohio State in what this is his sixth year at the helm, seventh, somewhere around there. He's one in six in the big house against Michigan State and Ohio State combined. There's no way that Jim Harbaugh keeps his job if he loses to Ohio State, especially if it's another bad loss. The Steelers are the team to beat in the AFC. Oh, this is this is tough. Um, and I, I think that I, I would say that this is an underreaction. And for this reason, um, the, the Kansas City Chiefs have looked vulnerable, but they have started to bounce back a little bit. The Steelers have beaten the Titans, who were undefeated at the time, and they have beaten the Ravens. Every time that I have seen the Steelers play this year, and they've answered the question of, well, we beat a good team. Okay, well, go beat this one. Okay, we did. Now what? We'll go beat this one. Every single time, it seems as though the media is kind of pushing back 
at the Steelers. Every single time they have a question, the Steelers answer it. Whereas the Chiefs kind of get the de facto, well, we're the reigning Super Bowl champions and we've got Patrick Mahomes. But in all actuality, teams have found ways to combat the Kansas City Chiefs. The Raiders kept Patrick Mahomes off the field. If you look at what the Steelers did against the Titans, the Steelers beat them in that first half by keeping Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill off the field. I think that the Steelers had the best chance to beat the Chiefs this year. And I think the the Steelers are the team to beat in the AFC until somebody can in the AFC can show me otherwise. Will the Steelers be 16 and 0? I think that this is an overreaction. And I, I have to just kind of explain this again. I think the Steelers are going to go 10 and 0 over the next three games. The Steelers have the Cowboys in Jerry's world this week, the Bengals in Pittsburgh the following week, and then the Jacksonville Jaguars the following week after that. They get the Ravens on Thanksgiving in Pittsburgh. They still have to play the Bills. They still have to play the Colts. And I I saw an interesting podcast uh, earlier on today. The hypothetically, the Steelers can go sixteen and zero. Hypothetically speaking, the only game they are not favored to win over their last eight games is the game against the Ravens on Thanksgiving. Now, if the Steelers are 15 and 0 going into a week 16 matchup against the or a week 17 matchup against the Cleveland Browns, if the Steelers have nothing to play for, you might see them drop that game. It all depends on what the season looks like and what Thanksgiving looks like. Injuries are going to be a big concern and we'll see what happens, but I I don't think the Steelers go 16 and 0, nor do I really want them to go 16 and 0. Just for the pure reason of I want a team to suffer at least one loss because it, it gets them a, a team that goes undefeated gets cocky at some point. It always has look at Carolina, look at the Patriots, the Patriots went 16 and zero to prove that they weren't cheating. And then they lost in the super bowl. If the Steelers go 16 and zero, I lose a little bit of confidence in them unless they're doing everything dominantly. I want that one little punch in the mouth before the postseason. And the Steelers will be able to go into the postseason with a little bit more of an attitude towards it, if that makes sense. One second. Well, one second. Uh, I I just want to remind our listeners that the only team to go undefeated and win the Super Bowl was the 1972 Miami Dolphins. High company. It's tough to do. The only team. They went 14-0. Can the Steelers do it? My answer is yes, it is possible. It, it, it's, not, it's not impossible. It's, it's like a 2.5% chance right now for them to do it. If the Steelers get through the Ravens on Thanksgiving... I think the Steelers go 15 and 0 up through the Cleveland game. And if they still have the one seed handily at that point, you will see the Steelers bench their starters against the Browns who might be playing for their playoff lives at that moment in time. We don't know. Uh, The situation is going to keep going and going and going. And it's going to be a question that's asked Uh, the Steelers. Can they do it? Yes. Do I want them to? No. Here's a question for you, sir. Overreaction or underreaction? The Big 12 division in college football 
Their time as a major player in the college football playoff is over. The window's closed. Overreaction or underreaction? This is an underreaction. We see good teams come out of the Big 12, but they're all offense, no defense. And no Big 12 team deserves a place in the college football playoff until they learn to play defense. And it's been a while, but it's been a while since the last major conference shakeup. Since conference, uh, the Big East stopped sponsoring football and we saw all these teams scrambling to find somewhere to play. We're going to see the same thing happen with the Big 12. We're going to go from the Power 5 conferences to the Power 4. We're going to see Texas move to the SEC. We're going to see West Virginia, Kansas State, Kansas, and Iowa State jump to the Big 10. It's just going to be a question of where everyone else goes and when this is going to happen. That is going to be the biggest question, but I don't think in the next five years the Big 12 is going to be any kind of player in the college football playoffs. Zach, underreaction or overreaction? Two-parter. Clemson won't be able to keep up with Notre Dame in the ACC without Trevor Lawrence and... With the results of this season, Notre Dame will consider uh, will reconsider being independent. So I'm going to answer this one at a time here. First and foremost, Clemson won't be able to keep up with Notre Dame in the ACC without Trevor Lawrence. This is an underreaction. Now, Notre Dame has looked good so far. Uh, that being said... Clemson struggled a little bit against Boston College. They found a way to win, which is the key. But, I mean, without Trevor Lawrence, this team kind of looks lackluster, for a lack of better words. Uh, You still have a great, great running back, uh, Travis Etienne, who just broke the all-time ACC rushing record. But to go up against Notre Dame and Ian Book, you have to put everything you got into beating them. Notre Dame has beaten some solid teams this year and over last year as well. This is the time for Notre Dame to show that they are legit. And I think that they can do it. Now, as in terms of with the results of this season, Notre Dame will reconsider being independent. I think that this is an overreaction. Um, I think that Notre Dame has considered not being independent for a while. Um, but the thing is, is Notre Dame, as I mentioned, has contract commitments. Now, if they can find a way to make the contract commitments work, I see no reason as to not do it because you're going to get a lot of good ratings being a part of a good division of football and you'll add some talent into that division of football that has been criticized by a lot of people over the years for not having a lot of talent outside of Clemson. So. Um, that I will say is an overreaction. Could we possibly see when the ESPN contract for ACC network is up NBC sports taking over that contract? I could see it. Bring a Notre Dame in. Um, I don't know. It, It all depends on what the, the, the goals are at that moment in time. And we'll have to see what ends up happening at that moment of time. When the time comes overreaction or underreaction after the implementation of the designated hitter to the national league this year in the MLB, 
Do you think the days of pitchers batting are over? This is going to be an underreaction with an asterisk. Yes. The days of most pitching pitchers batting is over. However, I think there are some of those pitchers that we know can hit in the National League that next season the teams are going to waive their right to the DH and have them play on the, or both as the pitcher and in the lineup. I think it was better for the NL this year. More games were competitive because you didn't have the double switch. You didn't have the uh, pitcher bunting when their team or when it was their turn in the lineup. So I think in the future, we won't have the pitchers batting in the uh, national league, which almost happened decades ago, but one GM didn't answer his phone because he was on a boat. This was before the days of cell phones. So it didn't happen. But I think the days of pitchers batting are soon coming to the end. And for our final one today, Zach Smith, the NBA will start before Christmas. So this this is an interesting one for a good couple of reasons. Um, because the NBA met today to try to get a season to start by December 22nd. Um, I'm going to say this is an underreaction only because I can only go off of the information that I got from Bleacher Report. Um And it's this right here. The belief among players is that December 22nd as a start date seems inevitable with a vote scheduled Thursday Uh, due to COVID-19. It's going to take a little bit of time to get a a true normalized schedule back. That being said, I'm I'm fully expecting the NBA will be playing at least on Christmas, Um, similar to how football has um, has Thanksgiving and baseball has the 4th of July. This is this is really what the NBA has. The NBA gets Christmas. So I fully expect the NBA to be around at or near Christmas. Do you think a regular season start date of Christmas Day could be a, could possibly happen? I could see it happening mainly cuz you want to put stars in there on thanks or on Christmas to play. So that's where you're probably going to see like the Lakers come and play. Um, excuse me, uh, maybe the Golden State Warriors coming back to play, uh, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry back both from injury. Um, maybe the Brooklyn Nets, if, uh, Kevin Durant is healthy, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, a new head coaching system. I think that would be a lot of fun to watch. Um, I'd love to see an opportunity for Boston to get to play that game. Um, and maybe the Miami Heat, so maybe like a Lakers Heat rematch to start off the season. I think that would be a lot of fun. And that's something the NBA has been doing. They've been having finals rematches on Christmas because that's really where they get their best ratings outside of the playoffs. Well, that's going to just about do it for us, Zach. Do you have any final or final thoughts before we sign off today? I do not, man. Go Steelers, 8-0. Falcons, you're going to start 1-0 this year. You're going to beat the Toledo Rockets. I, Ziggy Zumba, baby. Yeah, go Falcons. Talons up. Beat those Rockets up at the Glass Bowl. Thank you to my co-host, Zach Smith, uh, for the great discussion we had today. Zach, I love doing this. I can't wait till we can do it in the same room, even though eventually we're just going to be doing this for the entire podcast. 
Uh, our intro and outro music is by Bobby Quinn Creative Music Production. He is highly recommended by the Smith & Seidel Show. You can find him on Fiverr.com by searching Bobby Quinn C. We'd also like to thank Dylan Hunter, a student at Bowling Green State University that created the Smith & Seidel logo. So make sure you tune in next week. We might have a bit of an announcement coming out this weekend in uh, that we might have two shows coming up. So we'll see what happens and make sure you watch the Twitter stream for any live stream updates. Find us on Twitter at Smith and Seidel. That is S-M-I-T-H-A-N-D-S-I-D-L-E. Look us up there. Any information that we have based on our podcast is going to be on there. Find us on Sportscaster as well. We have started doing live streams on there. We are looking to do a couple of more here in the near future. So any information, any updates or anything, find it on Twitter. And find us on our Discord server as well. You'll get behind-the-scenes information and really just uh, you'll get you can tune in and see us record live for Zach Smith I am Jacob Seidel signing off and reminding you to stay safe and healthy especially in this trying time and always remember I Ziggy Zumba (laughs) 